All right, you guys ready to do it? Yeah, I'm happy and excited. It's in my repertoire, every single bar is hard, spitting fire like I'm the human version of Taurus Hall. All right, welcome back to the Trash Lanch. Uh, new year, new podcast. Uh, it's Brent Halliburton here, as always, with Mike Couchet and Britt Pibus. We've never missed an episode, except when we all take off. Attendance is 100%. I, I am sad to report that we have no new reviews over the holidays. Santa Claus did not bring me the reviews I was looking for. But New Year, new reviews. If you leave a review, we will read it on the pod and discuss it. Um, uh, the, the first thing I had on the agenda, guys, was to ask if you've figured out any New Year's resolutions. Despite the fact that I put it on the agenda, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm nowhere. I have quite a few. I can Ooh, go for it. Dude. Well, I'm, I, I, maybe this will become clear now. The, the more we do these, but I just, I'm, I'm the habit guy. I'm a creature of habit and so on and so forth. And the way habits work is that, you know, if you want to, if you want to take on a new habit, you can't, or at least for the most part, I'm sure there is exceptions, but you can't, you can't just start out of nowhere. You have to, what works is like replacing old habits with new habits, so on and so forth. But anyway, so anytime I have a new year's resolution, I always try to start it like in November. That way it's a habit by new year's by, by the first or something. So you're not, you know, you're not, you know, living uh, diet starts January 1st, I'll just do whatever I want. But anyway, so my, my big ones for this year that I started a little bit before the New Year's is that I want to spend less money on clothing. So I'm going to try to go the whole year without buying any new clothes. I have everything I need. I think I have plenty of pants, plenty of shorts, and I just sort of am just a sucker for Instagram, I guess, well, however they know, however they, they, they send me various ads and things like that. I, I'm a victim. And so sometimes I just can't help but, you know, purchase a new, especially if it's related to working out. I just love my workout hoodies and stuff like that. But anyway, so no new clothes and then no, like no Uber Eats. I think a lot of us can probably attest to that, maybe spent a little too much, especially in the initial parts of quarantine last year. And so that that's my big one, just to try to budget a little better and save money. And so it's, you know, it's always, it's an easy test because you know, what do I want the food or not? It's like, well, if I actually have to go get it, the answer tends to be no. And so that, that way, well, you know, it'll be a twofold thing, maybe eating a little better on top of budgeting and not spending $40 on a Taco Bell order or something. <laughs> all right. All right. So got, got a couple of questions. First, do you worry that the pandemic will end and you'll feel like you need new wardrobes post pandemic? Because I feel like, well, I'm, I wouldn't want to sign up for that because I feel like if they tell me I have to start going back into the office, I might be like, well, we got to rev the wardrobe a little bit. Well, no, I would think maybe my position is almost the exact opposite in that I have always sort of prided myself in being, or maybe not prided, but just enjoyed fashion and dressing dressing up and things like that. But now I don't have a reason for them any, anymore. I have all these expensive sneakers and stuff, and I, I wear Crocs now every day, you know, like I don't have to go places. Um, and so that's the thing is that I've, I've got plenty of stuff. I'm good. I'll be good to go when the pandemic ends. And, you know, maybe later down the line, we'll do some more shopping. But for the most part, no, now I just have, I just live in sweatpants and stuff now. I don't have, I just feel like such a slob and things like that. So I'll look, look forward for a change, but I don't, I don't foresee anything really changing on that front this year i'll continue to be a slob in my habits until next year probably all right my, my other question is is there a, a workout hoodie brand that you recommend i mean i always swear by lululemon stuff for the most part people complain about its price points but 
Its price point yeah. is ridiculous. The, well, I mean, you make good money, Brent. I don't, I don't understand that. But so that the qual- the stuff lasts. I have my oh, my very first, you know, tank top I ever had from there, in great pristine condition still. So like, it's not like you're paying money for garbage, which is what I find a lot of these Instagram brands are like similar prices for just stuff that does not hold up. And so I feel a little better. I mean, I, again, I'm at the end of this conversation, more or less tacitly endorsing slave labor. So maybe there's a better hoodie out there for you, but that's my defense of the price point. It lasts. Right. It's comfy. Uh, that, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, it's the, the, the price point feels usurious, but the quality is uh, seems strong. How about you, Mike? New Year's resolutions? I've never been a big person for New Year's resolutions. I think because I think of them as a change of habit and kind of like as Britt was talking about. And I feel, I don't know. So instead of instead of resolutions, I kind of give myself goals. And maybe they're the same thing um, to some people, but to me, they feel different because a goal might not be a regular thing that you do. But so the the one, the big one that ironically, I also feel like started a couple months ago and to kind of maybe warm myself up is just to read more. I, I read a lot when I was uh, in high school, like books, both for mostly for pleasure. I want to read more because I, I do do a lot of like nonfiction and academic reading and whatnot. But in the past couple of months, I've started reading for pleasure much more again, and it's really great. So I, I want to keep doing that. So I've, I've kind of like made a list of books that, that I want to read and whether I get them at the library or buy them, I don't know yet. But I think that's also been part of it is that I wanted to read, but I didn't know what to read. And now I have kind of like a list to go down, which is- so, which is so- Two questions. First, what what is like Mike Fouché pleasure reading? Mostly sci-fi type of stuff. You should read. I mean, this was before you even said sci-fi. This was probably the first thing I was going to recommend you. But have you heard of the three body problem by? How did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> no, I got to tell you, I read like the first two chapters and I just found it impenetrable. <laughs> uh, it's so good. So have you seen have you, have you seen or heard of the movie Arrival? I have heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, so is, that I, the, is that the linguist alien one? Yeah, Arrival is is probably one of my favorite movies of the past five, ten years. It's aliens and language. Mm-hmm. But it's a short story by the same author that was adapted in the movie. And this is his kind of like series, his epic. So he's a Chinese science fiction writer who sort of has a kind of cool relationship with the Chinese NASA. I forget what it's called, but the, mm. their equivalent sort of space program. He's sort of been able to help them out. And, you know, at least the, the work has been related, which I always find really interesting. Like, you know, with I think it was Interstellar, sort of the, the, the science behind that actually came up with some some new new stuff in relation to, I mean, not not that the time travel stuff was real, but they, they figured out some new stuff about black holes, I think, as a result. But anyways, very, very good. And I think maybe it's too dense, like Brent says, but I think in terms of like fiction for a smart person, science fiction for someone who's smart and enjoys math, numbers, and probably language too. I think it would be up your alley. Okay, cool. Man, I, I, you know, I recognize everybody says, oh my God, I love Three Body Problem. But I think of myself as like somebody who likes all different kinds of books. I just could not get into it. I, and I tried so hard because I everybody say said I it's liked, so good. 
I don't really consider myself a sci-fi guy, which maybe is just wrong. I like Star Wars. I like Star Trek, but I've never been sort of, it's never been my genre of choice. I've, I guess I've always liked Lord of the Rings fantasy a bit more. Hmm. So, so second question, Mike, how, how are you generating this list? Where, where's, where's this list of perspective books coming from? So I read Dune over the last few months and I finished that like the end of November. That came from a recommendation from a friend from home. So I'm currently reading the second one and I intend to read the third one. There's like 20 books. I'm just going to read the first trilogy, I think. So that's where that one came from, at least. One of my, one of my favorite sci-fi TV shows of the last five years or so is The Expanse. And they are currently in season five. And that ends, the, uh, season five will be the last season. But it only encompasses, so it, and it's based on books. And the first five seasons encompass five or six of the books. I got to do a little bit more research, but there's like 10 books out there. So while I, if I was a truly devoted reader, I would go back and read all of the, all of the novels, but I probably just pick up wherever the TV show leaves off since they're not going to make the TV show. So that's where those ones come from. And then finally, there's a couple books from Neil Stevenson that I want to read. Um, Snow Crash is the first one on the list for that. Snow Crash is the absolute goat of books. Okay. All right. Good. Good to know. I read, and so that came from a different recommendation from a different friend because I read Seven Eves a couple months ago, which was also which was very good and by him. Oh, and you like Seven Eves? Yeah. Yeah. Did you? Read I, that? I find I find his new stuff much more grindy to get through. Mm-hmm. His uh, like like I feel like the first couple of books that he wrote were, oh my god, I can write a book, and like. Now he's like, I'm this famous author. Here's my opus. And like every book is the next great opus for him. And it's just like, there's so many words and like (laughs) so little stuff. But like Snow Crash is like action, plot, like movement. It's it's easy to imagine the movie that was never made. In that respect, it's good. I, I really like that as a goal because I definitely feel like, I mean, I read so much less than I did a decade ago. And I know that it's this, like, there's always something new to watch on Netflix. There's always, like, some new podcast to listen to, mm-hmm. some short, shorter form writing on the internet somewhere about something, like, professional or not professional to read. And, like, reading long-form novels is is probably, it makes you a better person, like, far more so than anything. I, I, I wish I read more fiction. My brain has sort of been poisoned by philosophy. I just don't really... <laughs> I mean, I still like it. Like, obviously, Three Body Problem is probably the most recent fiction I've read. I really haven't read very much since I started my undergraduate. And since then, it's just been like Game of Thrones. But I just I just lost the attention span for it, as weird as it sounds. But I think some of that is, like, even a long article is only 60 pages or something. Like, you still get through it in a day or something. So I, I imagine it's attention span related more than anything. But yeah. I feel somewhat similarly like I just don't I don't read enough and I just can't can't get it get back into it like I did when I was younger well and it is hard if you're doing so much reading for your responsibilities yeah. like that's I think that's part a large reason why I didn't read when I was in college and grad school as well and then kind of over the last since I started working I feel like for some reason I was like I'm only going to read 
nonfiction books. And I read some really great ones. Like I think Malcolm Gladwell books were really good. I read a couple math, mathematical books that are like some math philosophy and they were all really good and interesting. And I'm glad I read them, but I don't know. I just want to go back to not having to, you know, read a chapter and then spend three days thinking about it and then read the next chapter. (laughs) All right, guys, let's talk about Pokemon. One thing I wanted to talk about for like, hopefully not too long, but I felt bad when I reflected on our discussion two weeks ago about what makes a good Pokemon player. I felt like we ended up fixating a little bit on like uh, mathiness and your ability to kind of like grind the probabilities and the analytics to like generate a little marginal utility. But I thought that there were like two things that we didn't talk about that I wanted to get you guys reaction to. One is like linear versus nonlinear play. The, the ability to, like, it's the ability to spot, like, oh, I should attack with the Dene or something like that. Like, I think there's some aspect of, like, recognizing the full scope of the opportunities that both your opponent has and you have. That, like, it's not really mathematical at all. It's, it's about your ability to, like, see the board or, or something. I've always thought of it as, like, linear versus nonlinear play. I don't know if that's, that's the best way to describe it or not. But I recognize... That's something that I'm really bad at. And like my son Liam is good at it. And that's why he's like so much better than me at Pokemon is he's like, oh, you can attack with this thing and you can attack with this thing. And like you have these other six attacks that like you've never used in a game before, but like they're useful in this like one random situation. How important or not important is is that kind of thing? Well, let me let me ask a clarifying question. So with an example. So I played a game last night where I was against Luke Metal and I was playing Pikaram and I got my, and I went second and I got my turn two Bolton using Electrify, which was great, but I didn't have any target on my bench to Electrify to except the Dedene. So I did that. And then the following turn, he knocked out my Bolton. So I had a Dedene with two energies and then I, you know, I found some other Pokemon. I found a Mewtwo or whatever. I started attaching to that, but I still had to either end the turn with the Dedene active or do something else. And so I ended up just using Dedene's attack for 50, where he's, I could have, and, and I feel like, it, is that the type of situation that you're thinking of where like, you, you know, I'm in this awkward spot and I, and I kind of had a bunch of options that I, I could, I could do 50 with the Dene. I could use Tingly Return. I could um, retreat the Dene into something else that maybe can take a hit. Are those the kind of situations that you're thinking of where it's not obvious what you're supposed to do? Yeah, maybe. Like, like I'm trying to think of what a good example is. Like, so one good example is, like, I mean, this is so esoteric. It's, like, almost irrelevant. But, like, I remember situations where, like, I've seen people playing Sable Garb. And... And they reach a moment in the game where it turns out like the right thing to do is to use Sableye's second attack and try to just confuse the other guy to stall out the game. And like, I think I think there's a lot of other players. There's like a lot of bad players. I'll include myself in that uh, bucket who like, they would just never think, oh, the strategy in this game is to like not get these two hammers into my hand. It's to go for the confuse. Because like we gotta the the only way that we can win is confusing at this moment and like I think there I sus, I suspect there's this whole swath of Sable Guard players that never used the confuse attack in their life. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's the people who you know had never attacked with anything other than Quaking Punch, you know, in all their days with Seismitoad and like the time came where you're supposed to what was the other thing? 
I don't know. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <other> right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and I think, and I think like using the seismitoid example, also, I felt like, and maybe this isn't exactly the same thing, but I felt like oftentimes there were situations where you could do a lot of other things with the seismitoid deck. Like you could Juniper, you could Chorus, or you could Laser, but really all you had to do is just Quaking Punch. Save your stuff, just Quaking Punch. Like you don't need to do anything else. And and people tend to play cards. You see it even now in this format where you know people will kind of get their everything that they really need to do on their first turn like if you're playing center scorch for example you have the volcanian active with center scorch bench and then they only have two cards in their hand they're like you know what i'm gonna crowbat right now and draw to six and you're like well you don't need to do that because you're not really looking for anything so i think that's like another potential example of the same type of thing where you don't have to play you don't have to do everything that you can do right 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 once you've achieved your goal for the turn you can stop yeah. And so I think that kind of speaks to the more general question that you're asking is like, you got to constantly be asking, what am I trying to do? What is my overarching game plan? Do, and in order, you know, 99 out of 100 times, I have to do X in order to achieve my game plan. But in this scenario, you should always be asking yourself the question, is it one of those 99 times? Or is it the one time where I got to be doing something else? Because it's still always contributing to your overall game plan which is to win but you know in various ways but there are yeah there are different paths to get right there sometimes. right you know you know what probably is a good example maybe or maybe a, a more accessible a- a example is uh, using tapu cure hmm. like or like like a primal ground deck that runs like the one psychic and then bust the tapu cure on people like it, it, if the opponent sees it coming they're way better than me <laughs> <laughs> Because I would never see it coming. Like, I would mm-hmm. always be like, well, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and that's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I guess I've always thought of it as like, you know, I've always described it as like a nonlinear play. This like, you know, seeing more esoteric attacks and rec- recognizing their utility in situations. And that, I don't think of that as like a purely like math grindy thing because there, there's this like awareness of, all of your attacks and like the board state and the game situations and recognizing like, you know, in this situation, I should quick ball for this thing and do this thing. And like, that's the maximum utility play. And I don't think that's, you know, when, when I say maximum utility, it sounds mathematical, but I don't think of that as a mathematical thing. So, so on a related note, I wanted to ask uh, Britt, uh, like if, if we had Dustin on the pod, like, I don't know if Dustin thinks of himself as like a mathy guy, but it made me wonder if like graphic designers think of a Pokemon in some like, like, you know, like visual way that somehow makes them good. Like what makes him good at Pokemon? I don't even know. That's a good question. And I don't, I don't really have a sense of how he would answer. I would agree that I, I, at least my sense is that he wouldn't consider himself a math person, but He's a smart guy. I'm sure he's pretty good at the math still. But yeah, yeah I'm, that would be an interesting conversation to have. I can't imagine there's really anything sort of, I guess, aesthetically motivated that would make someone good at a card game. But you never know. There's a lot of just, you know, vis- different kind of cues out there, different kind of visuals. But I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. I do think, though, just kind of in regards to your initial question towards Mikey, I think I've been thinking about this a lot since we recorded last two and kind of what I've come up with, at least for the moment, 
is that I think that kind of being a good Pokemon player is, you know, you need to have, you know, let's 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 think about it. Think about it in terms of like a D and D character building a character in an RPG. You have you have these handful of skills. So I think all like the math is a skill. The sequencing is a skill. They're all individual skills. And then if you have so many of them at appropriate levels, you're a good player or something like that. And so I think certainly that non-linear being able to recognize those scenarios is something really important. I think definitely something that I feel like I have as an older player that just doesn't ever quite seem as relevant to newer players. Like, I don't know, these like deck out strategies and things like that. I just feel like I'm always a little more aware uh, than my opponents, or at least when I was playing these league cups last fall, last winter, and playing against, you know, more, more middling level of players. And I, I remember being in top cut at a cut and just, just like notice how terribly my opponent used their switches on their first two turns or something like that. And in my head, I'm just like, I've won. All I have to do is custom catcher twice things like that. And I, I, I don't think people recognize these alternative win conditions enough. And, but again, it's questionably relevant in these newer formats. Like, well, like <laughs> right now, I think really the only one that matters is like I said, is sometimes people are, you can run them out of switches and things like that. But I think another kind of an important thing to mention, and maybe we could compartmentalize both of them as skills. And there, it's the kind of the, the, the distinction between playing to win, knowing when to play to win and you, versus playing not to lose. And so sometimes you have to like, you have to, you have to play to win. You have to make this terrible play that has a 10% chance of succeeding or something like that. But you have to, you know, you're a good player. You've analyzed the board properly and you recognize it's the only chance you have to win the game. So you have to go for it. Whereas the safer, more conservative player might say, ah, only 10%. I'll just play it safe and play the Marnie here and we'll figure it out later. But like, you know, sometimes those decisions are just that. It's that, you know, almost it seems a little, it's unfavored. It might even seem like a bad decision, but it's being able to analyze the board properly and sort of figuring out your, your roadmap to victory and things like that. And so, and even that, that itself is a skill sitting down and, you know, let's say we're playing an online tournament or something and I've just checked in, I'm looking at my opponent's list, like from there, just thinking to yourself, like, how am I going to win this game? And, you know, I was playing games earlier today. I had an interesting one. I was testing Mad Party and I played against uh, Inteleon Frostmoth and I just had to sit there and think like, how do I want to win this game? I'm not sure. Like, his board state was weird. It didn't. It didn't look like I was. I would have been able to just like gust three two prizes or something like that. And it just like I think I have to attack into the Inteleon. Okay, well if that's true, then that's going to be three prizes at some point of time. How do I win the game from there? And then it just seems like wow, I can't. Like unless unless they give me another Inteleon or something, it just seems like a waste. So I had to, you know, great catcher and things like that. But just being more meticulous, not even kind of in the long game, not just your, the exact turn you're playing on. You have to kind of, and you know, some of this is, I'm sure, very obvious too, but I think just like all of it adds up to being a good player. It's not, it's not one singular thing. I could be really, really good at math and not good at Pokemon. There's, there's other things going on here too. But I, I like my kind of take that it's, it's a bunch of skills at once. And if they're, if they're a high enough statage, you might be a good player. Yeah, and your example is a really, really good one. That's that ability to like suddenly completely switch gears into a deck out strategy. Like, you see top players do it, and you see bad players not do it. 
you know that that is the thing, right? And bad players walk into it. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, let's. I, I know you got a diatribe on hammers too, Britt. You want to hit us with it? Oh, I wouldn't call it a diatribe necessarily. I just, you know, we we have a lot has happened since we took our little week off. We have some tournaments running officially now where ADP is not legal. And naturally, Eternatus is a big sort of target for these crushing hammers. But I always, I always felt a lot of them, too, was for the ADP matchup. But now that ADP is gone, at least in certain formats, I thought it might be an interesting time to maybe reevaluate things. I know we're still seeing you know, colossal plays, crushing hammer sometimes. There's still kind of a toss-up, not only for Pikaram decks, but LMZ plays them sometimes. Do they still need to be playing them in these ADP formats? Uh, what about the regular formats? Things like that. I know we've talked about them quite a bit in Pikaram, and Mikey, who's had some more success with the deck, continues to play them. And I'm sure we'll probably defend them some too, but I'm not sure. I mean... If your deck really has a bad matchup against Eternatus, they're probably worth playing, but I don't know. And so kind of hard to talk about in the sense that I just wonder how much time, like if it's worth our time to really sort of figure out the ADP, the ADP list formats for the moment. We've got the Players' Cup coming up, so I just sort of haven't been thinking about it too much. But I think if ADP was part of why they were being played, it should seem to follow that they could be played less now but i'm not sure and we still people see people on twitter hating them hating on them every day and i think they're at least some of the sentiments are fair and the flipping is never quite fun or rewarding that sort of thing but i'm not sure like it, again like because pikaram seems good i think still in this adp list format yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like I mean, hammers I assume are good in a format where it takes multiple energy attachments to attack, and I think we're kind of there right now. Like outside of Mad Party, I don't know how many decks there are that are like kind of one energy attackers. Bolton's kind of gets you there, but and and I recognize like welder decks can can kind of bypass some of the effects, but puts pressure on them, right? Yeah. So the only deck that really consistently plays hammers is Peeker. You see, I would say the next most popular is probably Luke Metal playing hammers. And then third is actually ADP, I think. So if we disregard the ADP, then it's really just Pika and Luke Metal that would potentially play hammers. Luke Metal, I actually think the biggest reason to play hammers in Luke Metal is for Pikaram. That seems, at least as the Pikaram player... I'm much more worried going into that matchup if my opponent plays hammers because even just one or two heads in that is a really big deal because you're already discarding two or three energies from the GX attack. And so an extra, like even one or two energy can be the difference between like Bolton getting a one shot late in the game or not. And you can really run them out of energies. So if Pikaram is still very good in the ADP list, format then it would make sense then i think to still play hammers in that deck in pico it also probably still makes sense to play hammers at least some lists because of the eternatus matchup like your eternatus matchups really really bad if you don't play hammers so yeah i think hammer still makes sense even in the at least in those two decks even without adp but i could see the the argument's probably stronger in pico not to play 
hammers and try and figure out some other way to deal with the Ternatus. Maybe you can just play multiple Yelgrunts and get there. Yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I hear that and I think, why would I play multiple Yelgrunts when I could play a Hammer and a Marnie and like, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe end the game, right? Like, oh, Hammer sound, Hammer sound good. <laughs> yeah i think so much of their power is like, i think more rooted in just a card pool like it's not that they're a necessity or anything in any deck per se i mean they'll, they'll never be because in theory they'll only fix your problem some of the times never all of the time but i just like it just see, feels like there just aren't better cards to play and i think if there were there would be a lot less decks with and i'm trying to think of like good examples you know, there's no like stadium combo card like Laser Bank or anything like that floating around right now. There's just nothing else. We don't have Electro Power anymore. That's you know obviously a big a big thing for the Picarom specifically. But yeah, that's I think where some of my opinion on the card is is that it doesn't feel great to play. But what else are you missing? You know, all these decks that play hammers already are already rocking for boss for marnie for the most part lmz and peaker at least so again it's not like they're cutting consistency there are, and then again on top of that there aren't other supporters worth playing either there's a lot of supporters i learn i, I feel like I, I find out what a new one does almost every day but there's always a reason why i hadn't i'm learning about it that day they're big basic decks they just have a lot of room in them yeah, I mean, that too. These cards work. are big basics. They're efficient. They have their own acceleration or ways to accelerate energies through a trainer card. What else is there? Because, I, again, I think just to compare to Expanda, it might make my case a little bit stronger. Not only are, like, none of the decks really playing them, but for the most part, hammers have only ever been prevalent in the the really really control decks they've never been sort of in your your mid-range or arc or anything like that because there were much 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 better cards to be playing right right yeah so do speaking of banning adp do we want to talk about like this these increasing amounts of tournaments that ban adp is, is there stuff that we want to say there so there's only been like at least recently obviously there was a couple a few months ago but there's only been one so far recently i think that was had adp banned but the real thing is just limitless deciding that all of their tournaments going forward all of their standard tournaments going forward will have adp banned so you know in the next couple of weeks we'll have multiple of these events because they run one every week it just so happened that the first week that they came out with this decision they ran an expanded event instead so there will certainly be people exploring this format somewhat seriously. I really don't know what it's going to look like. I think uh, a good place to start is, shout out to Channel Fireballs. Isaiah Bradner did a uh, did an article kind of laying the groundwork and he thinks that Luke Metal is the best deck or at least it's the deck to beat now. So that's kind of a, a place to start. It, it will be interesting to see if single prize decks are able to find a, a stronger footing. I'm a little skeptical because just a lot of the other reasons that we've kind of touched on here and there on the podcast, they just require so much more 
so many more resources every single turn compared to these big things. So yeah, we'll see. I, I, obviously, I would I would ask about Spiritomb, and I assume that's why Isaiah says LMZ is a great thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Spiritomb Donphan, after playing it a, a decent amount, is like really bad. I think it's like a really, really bad deck. I don't think it beats most things, especially the new, like the new Blastephalon lists that run two Cramorant. You are never beating two Cramorant with with Donphan Spirit Tomb because you have no way to ramp up your Spirit Tombs without using Donphans, and Donphan doesn't even two shot a Cramorant, so like not not good. So there's just so many bad matchups I think for that deck. I don't even think you beat Pikaram consistently, which is terrible. All right, so are you guys going to be playing in any of these Limitless tournaments, or is it about testing for Players Cup three and like? looking for other tournaments now like what what's your do you guys have a strategy there i played in the first one and it wasn't the limitless one i forget what it was but there was a, i think it was on new year's day maybe i, I don't even remember I'm just i was just curious i thought it would be fun wanted to see what decks people chose i, I played the cramorant heavy placephalon sort of the, the hybrid of the two decks um, i dropped it two and two I don't, and I don't even remember looking at what did well. Yeah, I, I think I don't, I don't see much point in them, at least personally. I think I'm really interested in these other formats uh, later down the road, but the Sword Shield on one that Pablo has been running is a lot more interesting to me. But I want to focus on the Players Cup, so I'm, that's where my preparation is at the moment, and it's really not all that different if, if we're being honest. Like I, you know, you hit, you play the ladder, and as long as you don't hit ADP you're you're testing the ADP list format <laughs> right. so it's not too much different you can just quick concede if you're playing a deck that loses to ADP that might be competitive in a format without it but until there's official reason for it or like every online tournament switched or something like that I don't really I'm not interested I should say I don't I don't I, don't, I can see why someone would be interested but I've got I've got a chip on my shoulder from Players Cup two. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do well in three, so that's where my mind is. Nice. Um, yeah, like gotta like that. Gotta like that. Yeah, I probably won't do any specific testing, but I might play in a couple and just kind of theory mon. We'll see. Fair fair enough. So let's talk about. Uh, I, I want to talk about like Players Cup three, and I guess we're gearing up for that in a second. Like, so let's talk about the meta game and stuff in the last two weeks. We should start by saying, Mike, congratulations. Thank you, sir. So actually, but before we dig too far into results, I mean, I want to note, like, this second big tournament you've won in a relatively short period of time, in like, mm-hmm. uh, like a 30-day-ish, 40-day-ish window. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're having like a little bit of a run here in terms of like putting up good results at tournaments. Are there, do you think you did something that like, like, I'm sure, I, I think every Pokemon player said, like, when they kind of get on a hot streak, and you kind of see this, like, do you view it as a hot streak? Did you do something different? Is it, you know, RNG and you're just flipping heads all the time now? Like, <laughs> well, I do think part of it is I started playing the best deck and I learned how to play the deck quite well because I've been playing it, you know, a bunch now. I'm still not confident in some of the matchups. In particular, I think the mirror match is very hard to like gain an edge and I'm still trying to figure out how to gain an edge there consistently. But yeah, I think, I think I'm playing the best deck. I think I'm playing it well. I think I've learned all the matchups pretty well. 
And I think that's all just kind of coalesced into, into the results. I've played a couple different decks in random tournaments. And, you know, I, I think I is specifically like in the Sunday Open, I've top aided twice with other decks besides Peak. But uh, yeah, whenever I don't know what to play. And, and it's funny because like this started almost... It started very soon after we had this conversation about like sticking with the deck or switching it up and just maybe, maybe some of that subconsciously got into my head and I was like, I'm going to learn how to play this deck really good. And I think, I think really that that's, that's most of it. You know, interestingly, I I think, I mean, this is uh, definitely painting in overly broad strokes, but I would say like, historically, you are kind of that guy, like you were at that point with Spiritomb. Your Spiritomb was sure. not the best deck, right? Yeah. <laughs> Spiritomb was the, I think Spiritomb was the best deck in that format. <laughs> at least in the, in the, in the, whatever, the Rebel Clash format. I think it was. Right. But, but you were not, but you were not getting these kinds of results. Is right. that, is that like, because it was a higher RNG format or like. Well, so if. Hot maybe, streak or. If, it probably wasn't actually the best deck, but it's actually something that. I think, Britt, you mentioned in our chat with Danny maybe a week ago when we were talking about Mad Party that, you know, Mad Party is very strong when you play it very, very well and you draw decently. And so, like, do you want to have to play a deck that you need to play perfectly and draw decently well or play a deck that you can just play pretty good and kind of have the same results? And I feel like to some extent that was like the same thing with Spiritomb and like peak you still like in order to like do really, really well, you do have to play it almost perfectly, but there's more wiggle room in there because just inherently everything is more powerful. Right. And it feels to me like same phrase, like it feels to me more like a, it's a more linear deck. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you know, before you even flip over a card, you're like, okay, what I'd like to do is attack with Bolt and Electrify. Mm-hmm. See how it goes, right? That said, compared to a lot of the other decks in the format, it has a, a ton of options. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. All right. What else are we seeing in the, the meta? Do we, are there things we should say about Picaram besides what, what's been said? I mean, my list has changed two cards in since my big win. I do think the list is now at a more stable part. So I in from from the list like many weeks ago, I dropped the Elgrunt and I dropped the Vikavolt for a second Chaotic Swell and a second Mewtwo. And I feel like the list is just probably going to stay there now. It seems very, very good. Nothing really else to say. The big thing that has happened, though, in the last two weeks in terms of the metagame, in my opinion is the mixing of Blacephalon and Firebox into, I think the makers of the deck are calling it Crescephalon. They run two Cramorants, two, only two Baby Blown, two Reshizards as their attackers. And then otherwise it's pretty much a Baby Blown shell. Uh, it has Pokegears, which you didn't typically see. Runs Cherish Balls and Pokemon Communication. So it's really like a, a perfect marriage of Firebox and Baby Blacephalon decks. And I feel like that variant is significantly stronger than either straight Baby Blounds or regular Firebox. So I think finally, like Welder decks have kind of come up with perhaps the optimal build for the deck. It still has weaknesses. It still has a really tough matchup against Picaram in particular, but I think the deck is very strong, and that's kind of the big, in my opinion, the big story of the last few weeks. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. That was really the only thing I wanted to say in terms of a new deck presence. I'm surprised to see that it hasn't sort of repeat. It had it had that good showing in the, the GG Chill event. And then I just sort of haven't seen it pop up less. It's hard to know. Maybe some of the Blacephalon lists are more of it. I think it might just be worse. It's more interesting to me than Blacephalon. It has more options than the regular Blacephalon, but I, it's, it's less powerful, clearly. You just don't have as many energy in that sort of thing. So if you hit, if you, in this, I'll be speaking on this and the, the four games I've played, or the four games I played in a tournament with it, is that if you, you hit these matchups where like, the Reshazard isn't enough to carry you, it gets really hard because Reshazard sort of needs to take three prizes or so. And mm -hmm. if you you've hit these matchups where Reshazard sort of struggles to do that, it's a lot harder. And then you're all the more vulnerable to the late game disruption because you have less energy and so on. It's harder for you to hit your big numbers. So I remember, I forget what I beat now, but I remember that my first loss was to Pika and it was a really, really close game. And it was just like a series of really small losses on my part that just added up. Like they, they hit well on hammers. They had the Marnies at the right time. I whiffed. I was paralyzed for a turn, like all of those things. And I, I think I would have won, had, uh, had one more thing gone my way. But it didn't. And that's all right. And then, and then I played against a colossal, where and that's just kind of the scenario happened where mm. I'm trying to describe. Reshazard is not good against colossal. I I was. You need six energies. You can't even one shot it. And this we're talking. This was a more. It wasn't the crushing hammer version. It was a more defensive build. And so they had stone energies and the padding and mallows and lanas. And so I, it came down to the wire, but. I just had a colossal with the tool and multiple stone energies, and I, you can't kill that with a Blacephalon when when you don't have eighteen energy or something like that. Right. But I like the deck a lot and think it could get refined maybe a little bit more. And there's there's lots of fire options. You know, you have things like Victini or Torkoal that kind of get tossed around, and maybe something like that would solve the problems that the deck has. But I like it, but I think it's probably just worse than. Uh, kind of just typical Blacephalon build. So so I had one more Picaram question before we, we migrate away from Picaram completely. Mike, you, you ended up back at the two Boltons, and I know you had tried four, you had tried three, you had tried two. A anything in particular lead you to the inclusion or are just cramped for space and like it ended up being two and three is the 61st card? Yeah, three would be really nice. I, I still see a bunch of people playing three. It probably would be the 61st card, but yeah, I think just you just kind of need all the other cards as well. You could drop Big Charm, I guess, but Big Charm's really pulled a lot of weight for me. One of the matches last night I played against Mad Party against Azul, actually, and I Big Charm my Picaram, and he just wasn't able to do 270 to it. And so I just like... I kind of had to take a gamble. I was in one of those spots that Britt was talking about earlier where I was like, all right, I'm going to full blitz and set up tag bolt on my Picaram. And if he can do 280 to me, I lose. And if he can't, then I win. So let's just go for it. So I don't know. Big Charm, I think, has pulled a lot of weight. That's really the only spot. You definitely want two Mewtwo's as well. I've like I started with one Mewtwo, but... It's really, really good. And in particular, I had a game against a mirror yesterday that only played one Mewtwo. And 
if you play two Mewtwo's and they only play one, you're in such an advantageous position because you get to just go double Mewtwo and they can never use their Mewtwo then because if they do, you, like you just kill them with your second Mewtwo and then you win the game. It's you know reminiscent of Mewtwo Wars. So yeah, so I guess third Bolton would would be the 61st card, but two is fine. Fair enough. All right, I just, just had to drive to clarity for the fans there. <laughs> yeah, I got oh, you. All right, all right. The the gauntlet's the next thing on the list. Oh, yeah, I just thought that this would be uh, so funny to talk about. So for the last couple of days, there was a bunch of people posting on Twitter about it. I had no idea what they were talking about. And then it seems like it was mostly just a meme, but uh, I think like 12 or 12 to 15 people played it in the Hegster event last night. And it was just straight Zacian with all the flipping cards. So four hammer, four turbo patch, four Pokemon catcher. None of them did well, but <laughs> it was a. It seems like a fun deck to play. <laughs> I, was, I was disappointed in that. Like I knew it wouldn't do well. I was not. I didn't care. Like I basically just ignored it. It was. I was not like getting suckered in or whatever have you. But I was disappointed to see that it was. It was what it, it is. I expected it to be some stage two you know some cards we've never heard of before typically when people are flaunting their their rogue deck that has all the answers it's it's got something interesting in it at the very least and so i saw this and i was like this isn't even worth the the fuss that you guys made over it for the sake of making a fuss it's, clearly this deck is fine like it's zacian <laughs> What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was I was disappointed in that. I expected something kind of cool, maybe a Sander type control deck or something. I was looking forward to learning some new cards, but <laughs> tragically, I did not. <laughs> like, why not just stick a Lucario in there while you're at it? They play the goggles already. It's just a bad, <laughs> bad version of that. <laughs> All right, Sea King. Yeah, I think just worth mentioning, it was the only other new deck that I could think of that came out in the last two weeks, and it did well in one event, and then I think the next event, like, five to eight people tried it, and everyone did poorly, but it it seemed like a cool enough concept that at some point I would explore it a little bit. I haven't really tried anything yet. Yeah, didn't we discuss this two weeks ago, and we it, 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 it like, done well at, like, the event right before the pod, uh, okay, and then okay. we were like, oh, this is going to be the thing that everybody plays while we're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, yeah. I mean, the and, thing that jumped out to me was like, it kind of didn't work out like that because it right. kind of bombed, right? Yeah, right. It, it was it was popular for like the next day or two and then <laughs> nothing. <laughs> a, a tribute to the fast-moving metagame, but I'm a little sad because, yeah, I wanted, I wanted it to be like more of a, a, you know, a meme that had a little longer lifespan. Yeah, it could actually be a good thing to explore for this ADP list format because even though you're, it's it can be okay versus ADP because of all the energy removal, it's still probably your hardest matchup because they just win so quickly. So, and energy removal is still pretty decent against a lot of other decks. So, it could could be could be decent. Yeah. So so right before right as we kicked off the holiday season. Mike, you posted this chart of like your perspective on matchups. And and then Robin Schultz replied with like actual data from Limitless Games that he had pulled together. And I thought we should talk about it for two seconds. Let's talk about the Picaram line specifically. Like, so you said you said the only unfavorable matchup you have is uh, Eternatus. And 
Luke metal is very favorable or is, is even, I'm sorry. Yeah, even, even. And, and the data that Robin posted, I think agreed with that, but said that Lucario Mel Metal is actually pretty unfavored. 40% of the time, Picaram won. Yeah. Is there something, is there a way you think about that matchup that's maybe different than your average Picaram player, quote unquote? Yeah, I'm like, I'm very positive in the matchup in tournaments. Last night, I beat two of them. When I played in the holiday regional event, I think I went in total like six and three in games or something like that. I played a bunch of that matchup. I just think Luke, I think Luke Metal is like a really easy deck to misplay against. And so I think peek around players just in general are probably just not playing well. So, so some of the things that I do is I do not play my cards down (laughs) like i am so conservative with every single card i very seldomly research away more than one card like if i'm gonna research i want to like discard almost nothing i use marnie a lot marnie's really good against them uh, so much so that eldegas is often grabbing a marnie it's either grabbing marnie or boss almost every game Marnie's really good against them because their primary way to draw cards is Intrepid Sword. So, you know, if they Intrepid Sword, then you Marnie them to four, then maybe they don't have a supporter the next turn. They just have to Intrepid Sword again. Yeah, it's really just conserving your resources and like not if like if you can attack. That's probably all you need to do. Um, Switches are super, super important in that matchup because for a number of reasons, one of them is that after they GX you, if you don't have a way to get out of the active, then you're just sitting there doing nothing for a while. If you don't have switch. They're going to full metal wall you and you got to be ready. Yep. Later in the game, switches are useful to reset the Raichu attack, even if you're attacking with Mewtwo, because that's your most powerful, not GX, not Bolton attack, right? It does the most damage. So it's important to do that. It's important because you can deck out. That's a way that you can lose that matchup is decking out. And so, you know, if they full metal wall your Picaram, early on in the game and you don't put energy back on it, then maybe later in the game, they can just boss your Picaram. And if you're out of switch, you lose the game. Um, so switch is a very, very high resource. Uh, what else? I think that's, that's like a lot of the general stuff, the amount of energy. So if I was going to tech quote unquote for Luke metal in Picaram, I would just play more energy. That's like the best thing that you could play. I think so if, you want to play a 14th or even 15th energy that will make your Luke metal matchup a little bit better. Yeah. Don't use Tapu Coco until like, don't discard energy cards. Don't quick ball away in energy. If you can help it, just wait for your energy to get in the discard naturally and then use Tapu Coco. It's all like the matchup is a hundred percent just like making the most out of every single card that you can uh, and not discarding things unnecessarily. Crushing numbers are not very useful in the matchup. I mean, they can be helpful, but like I never feel bad about like quick balling or, or researching. Well, I guess I would never research away a hammer, but like quick balling away a hammer or radaring away a hammer, some of your best targets. I usually still attack with Mewtwo, even though Lucario resists it because it's just more versatile. You can switch and choose whatever attacks you want. But you do you have to, you, yeah. So I don't know, that, that that's a lot of the basic stuff, but I think the matchup's, I, I don't, I hesitate to say it's positive for Pika, but I think it's it, like, it's at least even, I think, I think the, and it's one of the more skill intensive matchups in the format. My, clo- uh, like my closest games in the matchup were against Sosa 
when I played him in that tournament. And I ended up beating him both times, but like, I, I feel like I got lucky and yeah. So it's, 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 I like playing that matchup. I think it's pretty fun. It makes you think a lot. It's a good matchup from both sides. I enjoy it as well. Yeah. So, so the other question for you guys is why do Senescorch people think that they're favored against Picaram? Both, both <laughs> Mikey's opinion and the data seem to imply that Picaram beats Senescorch every time. <laughs> I don't know why they think that they're favored. It's like, it's, so that's another match where Mewtwo is really good. You force them to have a switch in a particular situation by, you know, using Raichu to paralyze them. It's a clean two-shot if you use Raichu twice. It's not too difficult to set up a tag bolt to win the game because it's typically, they need a lot of energy to, uh, you know, one-shot a Mewtwo. That's another match where Big Charm on Mewtwo is pretty good. I don't know, man. It's just, I mean, going second is like obviously a huge advantage. I think probably the matchup is like, I think the match was probably 50-50 if they go second. And if Pikaram goes second, it's like, I don't know, 70-30 for Pika. So, so the other thing that jumped out to me about, about both your chart and uh, uh, Robin's data, and I dig Robin's data a ton because obviously like it's data, is yeah. it seemed like ADP is bad. <laughs> like ADP was 50-50 against everything, except it's unfavored against Pikaram and Senescorch. And it's like slightly favored against the Lounge. Yeah. Why why is ADP the best deck in format? It seems like it's not very good. Is well, it I guess that I guess that's part of the reason, right? Uh, it's, well, so typically the best decks have always been decks that are fairly even across the board. I guess the difference is that, you know, a deck like Evil Tall that was 50-50 again was you could make up that difference in your skill. Yeah. And ADP is like you don't really make it up in your skill. You make it up in your draws. Right. I mean, maybe the moral story is just like that, that every other deck's been chased out of the format because if you're not at least 50-50 against ADP, there's there's no point playing. Right, right, right. That's true. We've hit on it before too. I imagine, or at least I think that some of ADP's at least not so good data. I think that so some of that too is that our, our other lists have just gotten better and better and better over time. And that's like, I don't even remember what Senescorch looked like the first couple of weeks, but I remember it took kind of a, a minute or two before they've taken off. And now the sort of Senescorch squad on Twitter really have refined the list to what seems like it's best, at least the best version so far with like the one stamp, the great catcher, things like that. Like they, they have their cards ironed out. And I think that that's part of why ADP has, less good results is that other decks just got better and also too i'm sure we've talked about a time or two before part of why pikaram is so good is because it has that good adp matchup and so like now the you're the best deck and suddenly the the deck that beats you is the best deck and so that just kind of creates an an unfavorable metagame a lot of the time and so you're just losing then too and then also, I, I guess similarly in that now we have a new metagame, we established that Pikaram is the best deck. Good players are playing Pikaram. The good players aren't playing ADP anymore, so the bad players are bringing ADPs down statistically. I think things like that are all sort of part of the puzzle too. But it is always kind of curious in that it's never overwhelming. I, I can't remember where the Twitter thread started, but there is, or I think it was the Wasi. I think it, I think it was his tweet, but just like what you know, 
questioning whether or not we should ban ADP and there was just like, would it have won worlds? And I'm not sure, but I imagine it would have won worlds in the junior division or the yeah. senior division for <laughs> sure. Right. It's easy to play. Easy to play. Like a little Japanese child in the junior division, unstoppable with <laughs> ADP for sure. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I think that point of, you know, people that ADP is a really great deck to play if you don't think that, and this is not to be a slight against any player, but like if you don't think that you can play other decks at the level that you need to play ADP, like there's no, there's no shame in that. Like just play it, recognize where your skill cap is and play that deck because it can win any game if you, you know, it, and yeah. I saw, I think Tate tweeted out, yesterday that he taught someone to play recently like two weeks ago and then he lost to them last night <laughs> in the hegster event and they were playing adp like i mean if you if you like draw well and the other guy flips tails on his hammers like adp so super good man yeah i think it's funny you can just edit his last little spiel to just like if you want to play adp just don't think or something like that. <laughs> you don't want to think you just selective editing <laughs> so i think the any other stuff you guys want to talk about as far as the metagame anything else like that out there no i've got some team challenges i think finally i hope, nice. hope to win some oh yeah i think i have two this weekend Ooh, that's exciting back to back Saturday, Sunday. Uh, one is on Saturday and one is on Sunday. I've, I've just learned this actually in this time we've been recording today because I actually, so I wanted to participate in this one kind of the, the main Kansas City store I would be a part of. And the TO, sort of a sweet older lady who's just kind of always played with her son, had a Facebook status about it. And I've, I commented on it days ago and haven't received a response. But I was, I just saw on the RK9 website, it kind of has them all ready to go. So you can just, enter it enter find one and enter one at your leisure it seems like so if you're really gung-ho about qualifying i'm sure you can but i'll probably just play these a couple of these these one or two both the stores are close or closer to my heart so it'll feel like a real local game store or something for me i don't i don't think i'll play in any across the country or anything like that but so what what's what's the play this weekend brit I think I will reluctantly play Picaro for the first time. Yay! Way to way to play the best deck. I, well, I feel sort of just like I've just been. I just keep doubling down on the decision to not play Picaro, and I just I feel so deep. I just I've dug my hole so deep. There's just no reason to play Picaro. I just gotta keep keep digging. But for something like a league team challenge, every single one I see. With some exception, but for the most part, it's like I want another four-person one. It seems like the best deck to bring. I, I don't foresee them having high turnouts of mostly refined metagame decks. So I like want to be safe. I saw maybe I'll just play Mikey's list. I've seen this seems to be common. At least I've seen a handful of them. People for their team challenges are playing a third Boltund for some reason. They just want a little even more extra consistency for i guess in theory the team challenge might be less competitive than the online tournament i i really have no idea i I would like to think that it's because they listened to our pod two weeks ago and we were like three boltons maybe but yeah just because the math at least i'm familiar with 
I'm sure it's different because the number of basics are different, but I remember kind of the math of playing Verizion Genesect, like your odds to start with uh, Verizion when you play three versus four was fairly negligible, if I remember. So like probably the fourth one isn't worth playing, but three is. What do you think? What do you think about the third one, Mikey? You've got a perhaps perfect list and aren't playing one yourself. What do you think of people's decisions to need the third one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. The only thing I could imagine cutting is the big charm, though. I guess you could cut second swell if you didn't think that you were going to play against too many fire decks. Those are really the only two cuts, though. Like, you don't want to be the guy that cuts the fourth research or fourth Marnie. You don't want to do that. Don't be the guy that cuts the fourth Marnie. Yeah. Yeah, third Bolton would be pretty good, but I definitely agree that four is overkill. There, there's just better cards. Yeah, the value of starting with the Bolton as opposed to trying to figure out a way to find it and switch it seems like it's it's, it's not right. quite enough juice there. Yeah. But but you you do want to find it uh, turn one, right? Right. All right. How about you, Mike? Players Cup three preparation. Are you testing? Are you just playing in tournaments and having fun and playing Pikaram and winning? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I can't imagine playing much else except Pigram for most of the Players' Cup stuff. And like I said last time, this one's going to be interesting because we have the qualifying period, but then the new set comes out before the actual, uh, you know, single or double elimination tournament. So I will, once we get more information on this set, I will probably, like, this is when the single strike stuff comes out, right? That's the next set. All that I, stuff. I assume so. Or no, there's a there's kind of a fillery one first again, but it has oh, okay, okay. It has boltons and crobats in it, so it's oh, not nice. all filler, but it's a shiny one. I, th- I think that's where like the ditto stuff might come out. Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'll probably like not test too much until new cards come out, and just kind of play events and use that as my testing. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, should we talk about Celio's network? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to give a shout out to go watch. I did a video with Luke on his channel, Celio's Network, the other day, kind of talking about card design. And we've talked a lot about old cards and what what would be some cool mechanics or sometimes just straight up card reprints that would be really cool to see. So go go give that video a, a view and a listen. I think it's uh, it was a really cool discussion. Awesome. I, you know, I, I do want to have... Like, I feel like there's a couple of, like, old format tournaments that have gone on. I feel like we should try to capture some of that stuff for, for next week. and talk. Yeah, about I wasn't sure if we'd yeah. get to it today, but I'd definitely be happy to talk about and excited to talk about the surge of popularity in the 2017, 2018 formats. So I was still competing back in 2017. I was doing okay back in that back then still. So yeah. I, have, I think I have some relevant thoughts there. But. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we will definitely talk about 2017 and, and I think that, uh, yeah, and all the other uh, kind of old school format uh, tournaments that have been going on in a hot second and give Xander Perro props for, for like winning stuff and proving SPN Garb's a good deck. All right, guys, anything else? Okay. Yeah, this is good. Good to be back. Great to be back. Yeah. It was it was weird that last Tuesday not having a positive. <laughs> I, I know because I knew Mikey was busy. I just felt, you know, like I said, I'm so habitual. Like I just felt off because it, it wasn't part of my usual day. I almost like because I knew Mikey was busy. I was like, Brent, you want to just do one? Like <laughs> I don't have anything else to do. I'm at I'm at my computer at four thirty, like usual. And I'm just staring into space. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Awesome. Another week in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, the people uh, the people love it. I'm I'm Thank eager to get the pod rolling again. Yeah, man. Definitely. All right, guys. And take care. Play some Pokemon over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Right.